0: Hello, hello. There I am. Hello. Welcome to our one tonight Bible study. Let's all stand together uh, as our campus is joining with us as well. And let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of being able to gather as people of faith, part of this family of God, where we can look into your word and uh, grow from your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and eyes to see all the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. "Amen." You may be seated. Good to have you with us, as well as those over in Appleton, Stevens Point, home studies, and people all over the world. Oddly enough, who actually follow along uh, with this, we are uh, in the Book of Acts uh, in our study through the Scriptures. And what we're doing is, as we're going through the Book of Acts, <laughs> no matter with this thing. As we're going through the Book of Acts, we stop and show. When certain letters, which are called epistles today, fancy religious word, it just means letters, uh, were written to the church. So uh, we are, Paul had three missionary journeys. One was a fairly short one right around here, that was it. The second one was a big one where he looped all the way around like this and then back up to Antioch. He hung out at Antioch, that's where he was based at, which is very unusual because all the apostles and stuff initially all hung out in Jerusalem. It's really interesting. A discussion we'll have some other time, but uh, what's fascinating is most of the New Testament is written by someone who wasn't one of the apostles, original apostles, who never really saw Jesus physically do anything as far as we know, uh, and, uh, and not the guys who actually did. I mean, it's, it's, it's really amazing, and there's reasons for that. Well, Get into some other time, but anyway. So, so he's here. Goes that first little trip. Then he goes the big trip, and then he's trying to do the second trip, the third trip, which he's basically trying to duplicate the second one. The only difference is instead of going around here, he goes this way and then up around here. His plan is to come to here uh, and probably go back to Antioch. Well, what happens is when he gets here, he gets arrested, and that's kind of it for him. And the uh, Romans ship him off to Rome or eventually stands trial and is martyred. And we will see that as we go through through all of this. Uh, So we're already into the third missionary journey. Um, If you feel disappointed, maybe if you miss it all, uh, it's really fascinating, but really so far, most of the New Testament is yet to be written. So even though this is his third journey, and we're getting toward the end, most of the writings are still yet to come. So far, all that's been written is the... uh, a letter to, from James to all the Jewish Christians, because in the beginning they were all Jewish. Then Peter writes to the, or Paul writes to the Galatians, then he writes to the Thessalonians, and then he writes to the Corinthians. So we're still dealing with the Corinthians. What happens is Paul, on his third missionary journey, comes to Ephesus. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, we read how he talked, there was a previous letter he had written to them. No one knows what that is. So it's the missing letter. Uh, but it was dealing with immorality problems. So he tells us in, in our first Corinthians, which really probably should be second Corinthians, but we don't have the first one. He writes uh, and tells us what he wrote about, which was the problem with immorality. So anyway, he gets here. Eventually, uh, someone comes and tells him, the people in Corinth, they're a mess. It's just a mess. It's a disaster. And so he writes first Corinthians and deals with all the crazy that's going on uh, There in the church. And he's really pretty ticked off. And he's really hammering them pretty hard. And then he starts coming up through here. And uh, at this point, I believe what happens is, uh, who is it, Titus or somebody comes back and says, you know, they're really upset at that letter that you sent. Uh, So he sends this letter. And uh, so in this letter, he's trying to clarify, uh, calm things down a little bit. And, but still defending himself. You'll see as we go through this at times, he'll jump into this defensive mode because there's still people in Corinth that don't like him. I don't know why. We don't know why. There's something about Paul that was really ticking these guys off. Somebody was having a problem with him. So on occasion, he'll defend himself. But whereas the first letter of the Corinthians was really him just smacking them around for all the bad stuff they were doing, in this letter, much more theology about faith, about our experience in Christ and what all this is about. So that's, that's where we're at now. In a, we just finished reading the fourth chapter, and what? What is with this? It's possessed. Test, 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 test. <laughs> All right. There. Now you probably have to turn it up because I pushed it away from my mouth. No, I got the thing on it. Get a different one. Oh, a different mic. Talk amongst yourselves. Hello, test, test, okay, there we go. It's driving me nuts, man. Driving me nuts is a short drive. All right, so we end at chapter four. And here he writes about how, um, uh, toward the end there, about the hope of the resurrection from the dead. One of the things that we read a lot in the New Testament is this glorious hope of being physically resurrected from the dead, which is really interesting because you don't really hear much of that today. Modern day Christians, we're just looking forward to dying and going to heaven. Okay, which he also talks about next. So there's, it gets a little confusing sometimes because to listen the way they write, sometimes you think, well, nothing happens until you get resurrected from the dead. But that's not true. He's going to show us that when you die, you immediately go to heaven, but yet there is this, still this other experience of being resurrected from the dead, which they talked a lot about anyway. So, And then he ends chapter four with saying, uh, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Which I guess I can go right back to my original thing that I played around there for a minute. I think one of the reasons that so much of the Bible is written by someone who never even saw Jesus is this whole experience is not based on what you see. It's just not. Isn't that fascinating? You would think, now these guys did eventually write, but in limited ways. And and most of the apostles never wrote anything. We never hear from any of them. So it's fascinating that so much of what we are built on is strictly from people who never saw any of it, which is amazing. Uh, wow, so incredible. So anyway, so we're picking up at chapter five. All right, and again, for those of you new to the Bible, the Bible was not written in chapters. It, someone later came along and made chapters and verses so you could find where we're we're looking. So anyway, it's just one continuous letter. For we know, Paul goes on to say, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, now he's not talking about camping, okay? He's talking about a physical body. He's back to the body thing. He knows that if this is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So this is the first time we really start getting a picture that it doesn't just end. We don't just all, because up at this point, they talked about, You know, when you die, you fall asleep and looking for the resurrection and all that kind of stuff. And all of that is true in a sense, but the reality is at this point, uh, I'm sure the Holy Spirit and talking to God, Jesus and everything, all the revelations he's having is letting him know that there's a transitional stage. We don't just fall asleep and wait for nothing when we're dead. We immediately go to be with Jesus and then yet we'll be resurrected. So, okay. So, meanwhile, uh, verse two, he says, We groan, uh, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed with the heavenly dressing, we will not be found naked. And most people, unless you're very, very odd, don't want to walk around naked. All right? Now, obviously, the analogy there is, you know, just everything being exposed and who we are and stuff like that. So we're clothed uh, with righteousness from Christ. For while we are in this tent... Again, talking about this body. We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, this is really interesting because we see a lot of this in the New Testament. The early Christian experience and really the proper Christian experience is at some point there should be a desire to get out of here. Are you following me? Uh, We should always be aware this is temporary. The job is temporary. Cleaning the toilet is temporary. Dealing with the kids is temporary. All the stuff we go through in life, we all have stages of life. It's all temporary. Uh, And we shouldn't get so caught up in this. And certainly we shouldn't be getting so caught up in everyday living, as I talked about last week, that it's like the thorns of life that start sucking the life out of you, which Jesus warned about. As Christians, you should not be so obsessed by your daily life and your existence that, and I'm telling you, the vast majority of Christians, I'm convinced, fall into this trap. The idea of heaven for them is a million miles away. They, they don't even, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess we're going to heaven someday. Well, I hope it's not until, you know, after I retire or after I get to see the next Star Wars movie or whatever, whatever the other thing is, you know. Remember one girl, girl telling me, oh, you know, she's a teenager. Oh, I hope Jesus doesn't come back till I get married. You know, she wanted to have a husband. So I mean, everybody's got their thing. We shouldn't be so obsessed about this life that we forget about the next life. What these guys constantly kept in mind is this is temporary. At some point, this existence, even with its blessings, even with God answering your prayers, even with God giving you favor, at some point, all of this still kind of sucks, okay? And it's supposed to kind of suck. Don't get discouraged when living in this life at times it's like, ugh, because it's supposed to be, ugh! That's what causes the groaning that he talks about. Don't we think, oh <laughs> the good news is we die, <laughs> which is, I say a lot and people just giggle. The reality, that's supposed to be very, very true. This is temporary, all of this. It's temporary. Don't get discouraged by life. Don't let this life suck the life out of you, which I've said many, many, many times, and it's easy to get caught up into that. If you have to stop and think, oh, yeah, we're going to heaven someday, you're in a bad place. That means you're not keeping your eyes focused on what is unseen, as he just said, and only on what is seen. This is temporary. All this is temporary. We wrestle through it the best we can, trusting God, God's favor, God's blessings. Uh, but we will have troubles, Jesus promised. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. A- at the end, we finally get released into his glory, which is something we're supposed be, all supposed to be uh, desiring. Of course, the question these Christians would think was, well, how do we know we really get that? How do we know? How can you know that you know? And that's what he says next. He says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. What purpose? What purpose? To be with Him in eternity, this is temporary. You're an eternal being. You know that's why it's kind of hard to even imagine. I think I can't even imagine all of a sudden just ceasing to exist. You know, because we're alive. we are an eternal being, as I do. That's why everybody has a sense of we are going to go on. Now, people have different versions of what that means, but in, from a Christian viewpoint, it means we get to live with Christ. Now, the one who designed us, all of this is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The way that you know that you know is you are born again. You have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ living in you. If you are not sure that that has happened to you, you need to contact one of our pastors or someone that you respect in the church and talk to them because all of you who are walking with Jesus should have the sense within you the Spirit of God is in me. There's something different in me. There's a new life. I may not understand it. Chances are, Most of us don't understand it. (laughs) I've been in this over 40 years. I'm still figuring it out, you know. But we don't have all the answers, but you know that you know God has made a difference in here. I am not what I was. I know what I was before. I am not that anymore. A new thing has happened in me. It's called being born again. It's called being the spirit of God given to you. And what Paul is saying is that spirit, that hope, that burning fire, that flame that lights up in you when, you when you come to church and we're all singing together and something, you just feel that inside of you. That is proof that God has guaranteed you a spot in heaven, which is pretty cool, okay? now you add, That's why you, sometimes you ask people, well, do you really know you're going to heaven? People say, well, well I hope so. I hope so. I, I was kind of a good person. I didn't. I didn't run over too many people, you know. Uh, uh, well, you know, if, if your version of I'm going to heaven is I hope so, you're in a bad place. Because when you really get this, it becomes real, and it's so real. It is the deposit. Is, that is that guarantee that you are going to experience this someday with God. Pretty cool. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But... For we live by faith, not by sight. In other words, what he's acknowledging is that as Christians, and as long as we're here, in a sense, we're really, there's this thing of faith that goes on, because you don't see everything. You don't know what's going on, which is how we live. As Christians, we live by faith. What we can't see more than by what we can see. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Which is a really morbid way of saying, you know, a nice way of saying a very morbid thing. Which is, boy, wow, I wish we were all dead, because if I was dead, I'd be out of here, and I'd be with you. I mean, you get now, this is obviously the Apostle Paul. He is at a level most of us highly unlikely will ever attain. I mean, he is having visions and dreams and walking with God and all. Even though he's suffering physically terribly in his body at times, which he'll talk about in a bit. Uh, He is so close to God. He says, man, I can't wait till I die, because I get to be with him all the time. There should be a, you know, wow, how cool is that? So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. Now, this is interesting. This is something he talked about in his first letter to the Corinthians. I'm going to jump back over there. Chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11, if they can pop that up quick. Enough messing with somebody back there. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 11 of 1 of, of Corinthians. Is that 1 Corinthians? No. No, it's not. That's not, oh yeah, there it is, okay. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, so you you can't start this on your own. All of this is started with Jesus Christ in our lives. He's the foundation of our life. Now that you've received Christ, you just don't sit back and do nothing. We're supposed to be active in our faith and honor God, and Jesus gave all these parables about doing the right thing and advancing his kingdom. So if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly, stones, wood, hay, or straw, now he just gave us six different things. You got gold, silver, precious stones, which are the nice things, and you got wood, hay, and stubble, which are the worthless things. And uh, we all, at some degree, are building on our faith using these six things, or really throw them into two categories, good things and things that are worthless. So what we want to do, obviously, is build on our faith the really good things, the things that we do right for the kingdom of God. These are the valuable things, but we also do things that aren't really all that valuable and some that are just stupid and terrible. We all make mistakes. So he says that's how we build. And then he says in verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, what day? You mean the day of judgment? No, not exactly. In the book of Revelations, we'll get to the great white throne judgment. But the great white throne judgment is for those who don't know God and whose names are not written in the book of life and their end will not be a good end. You say, oh, great, we don't get to go through that. No, we don't. But we're not 100% off the hook. We will all still have a judgment day, but for Christians, we have the judgment day of Christ where we stand as children of God, received by God in heaven. No one's going to kick you out of heaven, which he's going to say here in a minute. Uh, even if everything you've built is crap... <laughs> He doesn't say that, but that's my interpretation. <laughs> I'll get that in a second. Even if everything you did is nothing but crap, and it all burns up and is worthless, you're still saved. So this isn't a salvation thing. You don't earn your salvation. But these are the real rewards that we'll have in heaven throughout all eternity. So that's the day that we will all give it account for. It will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Because those are built of the good things, the, the things you do with the right heart, the right intention, the right sacrifice and stuff. But if it is burned up, all the cruddy stuff we do, then the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as, only, as one escaping through flames. In other words, what he's saying is some people uh, who are devout Christians, well, who are Christians, apparently not very devout when they get there. They're going to be saved by the skin of their teeth, basically, is what he's saying, everything that they've... Because if all you do in this life is work for your own interests and your own desires and what you want, when I want, it, and I'll go to church every six months whether I need it or not, once. You know, I mean, you, you live in that kind of way. You're not building anything of significance. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but it just means on that day, man, your things are going to go up in flames because everything you did was just in this temporal world. If you live for eternity... And do things that advance eternity. Now you're building good things. And that will last. And great rewards will come from that. All right? So that's what he's talking about here in verse 10. In, back in 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us. For the things done in the body. Whether good or bad. And you notice he talks about what we do. Not what we feel. Okay? At the end of the day. We have to give an account for what we do. Uh, and that can be encouraging and discouraging at the same time. <laughs> okay? The discouraging part will be all the people who say, oh, boy, I really meant to do that. <laughs> That's bad. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter what you meant to do. The old saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Well, for a Christian, it doesn't pave the road to hell. It paves the road to getting jack squat when you get up there, which is not good. Because up there, it's a lot longer than down here. So, uh, so that's a discouraging thing. If you think I felt the right things, well, it doesn't really matter what you feel. The encouraging part of that is sometimes we feel really bad things. I don't know about you. You ever feel anything bad? You have visions of strangling your neighbor, you know, because <laughs> the dog keeps pooping in your yard or, you know, your kids are doing this. And you're, you know, this and that, that person, and that. my husband, he still has got his underwear all over the floor. I mean, there's days. There's days. We feel bad things, and when you're feeling tempted, you feel bad things, okay? Now, there's a lot of people now who feel condemned. God must hate me because I feel bad things. No, 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 you have to understand. I mean, there's ways of dealing with all that, but uh, what's important is what we do, what you act out, okay? Don't think, well, as long as I feel it, I might as well do it. No, 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 because these things are talking about what we wind up doing, okay? So on the one hand, don't comfort yourself thinking, well, I meant to do it. Does that mean something? No, it doesn't. And don't kill yourself. he said, man, I felt like doing something really bad and I'm glad I didn't. Okay, fine. You know, If you've sinned in your heart, ask God to forgive you. But uh, So that's the good and bad news there. All right, so now, since then, he writes, we know what, is, what it is to fear the Lord. Why is he talking about the fear of the Lord? Well, because it's something we have to answer to God. <laughs> that's known as the fear of the Lord. We have to answer for our lives. I don't know about you. Uh, you know, I know I could have lived my life a lot better than I have lived it to date. You know, hopefully there's some stuff that really counts. For, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's nothing to get totally discouraged about. But knowing that we've got to face life, answer to God someday. He says, knowing this, we try to persuade others. Persuade others. To do what? To live lives that are meaningful and live for eternity and, and talking to people who aren't saved to turn away from their sins and turn to God. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to condemn, commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So right away now, I told you, he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, uh, and we'll get into this. He's basically, at some point, he starts saying, look, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that I was so harsh in that first letter. We're going to get there. But so he's talking about some of these fundamental truths, giving us a lot of theology. We're already deep into theology more than we were in the first letter. Okay. But there's still people there that are giving him a hard time. And I'm sure you heard about this from Titus. So here's, like I said, on and off, you'll see him kind of defending himself. And he's going into that mode right here. Okay. Okay. Uh, again, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. There's people in your church that are just looking at us from a worldly perspective, and they don't like me for whatever reason. I mean, everybody's got stuff people they don't like, you know, there's people they don't like you or whatever. And he's trying to say, clearly there's people in the church like that, but I want you to see what's in my heart. Uh, He says, for if we are, quote, out of our mind, why is he saying that? Because there's people in the church who are saying, the man is crazy. The man is crazy. I don't know why they were saying he was crazy. I don't know why they were dissing him. But there was something about Paul that some people had problems with, which is really not that shocking. The truth is, you can take the most esteemed man of God that you can think of. If I am that, I am honored, and I feel sorry for you. So... (laughs) But, but take the most esteemed person you met, the most, uh, you know, Billy Graham, I mean, whoever you think of. Man, this, this guy is the bomb. This is the best of the best of the best that there is in Christianity. You just look up to this person, everything they say and stuff. I promise you, if you got really close to that person, it wouldn't take long before you start getting disillusioned. You know. And it is what it is because people are people. People say things, they do things. I know people t- say to me, oh, Pastor, I really love you, and I appreciate that. I really do, and I think it is sincere, uh, but I do know that the closer you get to me, the harder it is to love me. <laughs> I know that from those who are very close to me. Apparently, I can be challenging, all right? So that's true with anybody. So, uh, you know, I don't know why some of these people didn't like him. I suppose, suppose at some point Paul was still a human like everybody else, and there are things about Paul that people didn't like. In fact, I don't think I had this conversation with you one time, Pastor Joe. Uh, I really think that if Paul were in alive today, that a lot of people wouldn't like him. He was intense. He was really intense, like, holy cow. Relax, you know, I mean, so in in modern day Christianity, if they didn't like him 2,000 years ago, I'll bet your bottom dollar, most churches would bar him and wouldn't let him show up at all. Because he was so intense about stuff, you know? So anyway, I don't know. They were close to him, and there were some that didn't like him. They said, look, he's crazy, man. And he said, well, if we're out of our mind, as some say, those guys, it's for God. If we're crazy, we're crazy for God. If we're in our right mind, well, it's for you. He's basically saying, look, I don't really care what you say about me. He's really kind of trying to make peace with these people. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We, I just did a, a sermon on this several weeks ago. We talked about this at, at the baptismal. The whole baptism experience, which he explains later in greater detail when he writes to the Romans, which I believe is the next letter coming up. When he gets back down to Corinth, somewhere in there, he writes a letter off to the Roman church and giving more theology and stuff. And he starts really explaining what baptism is. Is that baptism, as I said before, is a celebration of death. A celebration of death. The more you understand that concept, I think the freer you are. The people who tend to be the most victorious Christians, and I mean this is across the board, I'm sure Joe and everybody else would agree with me, are the ones who absolutely grasp this concept that the old me is dead. And everything with it is dead. And all the stuff connected to it is dead. Dead, 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 dead. Not just mostly dead, but totally, completely, entirely dead. These are the people who live extremely free. You say, well, they didn't have a bad background like I did. You're wrong. Some of them had horrible backgrounds. You listen to their stories. They're like, oh, my gosh, how do you even function? And they smile at you and say, because I'm dead. (laughs) It's dead. It's dead. It's all dead and gone. And I absolutely guarantee you, the people who struggle the most as Christians, and maybe some of you listen to me right now at some of the campuses here around the world or whatever, and we love you and we have compassion for you. And and I don't say this to discourage you. I mean, it is what it is. The ones who struggle the most in their faith are the people who don't get this because they still struggle with their past. Their past is constantly haunting them. And they're trying to get counseling for their past, and they're trying to get reconciliation with their past, and they're trying for understanding for their past, and there's all kinds of Christian ministries and stuff that all they do is help people to, you know, come to grips uh, with their past. Uh, we have several programs in this church that is absolutely designed to do one thing. Help people with their past. You know, some people get it, some don't. I mean, we just don't, you just don't kick people who don't get it into the street, all right? Y'all have kids, right? Some get it, some don't. You don't get rid of the ones who don't. <laughs> Quick, come on, let's go. He's, in, he's in aisle three. If we leave now, we can get out of here. You know, you don't do that. So there's, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying you do. You really struggle and you know what I'm talking about. And okay, we have several programs in the church and all of it is totally built around you trying to make peace with your past and getting past your past and trying to, and it, but trying to keep even in that context interjecting that the real key to this is you need to die to your past. If Once you get this, and I, and I said this uh, when I was preaching, uh, we don't, the, the best situation for Christianity is we don't heal your past, you kill it. Eww. It's that you just kill it. And when you get this, I'm telling you, it's so freeing. And it is what it is. Now, at some degree, it's still, I get it, but I'm telling people who are the most free are the ones. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think some of you believe me. <laughs> you know, we should have testimonies. We should do more of that. You have no idea. Some of the people you're sitting next to, they, they have, they've got issues, man. They should have issues. Because they have done horrible things or have had unspeakable things done to them. But yet they're free as a bird because they have gotten this revelation. Say, Pastor, I want this revelation. I can't give it to you. Pray, ask God, Lord, help this to become real to me. Help me to realize I am a new creature. He's going to talk about this more. We're about to get to one of the most famous verses in the New Testament. Hang on, we're not there yet. 45 minutes in total. I've got 15 more to go. All right? If I keep jacket wrapping around here, we'll never get to it. But anyway, the the whole thing is, as Christians, we are totally and completely set free from our past. Now, if you struggle with some of your past because it's so gained to you and for whatever I get it, I understand some people, you can't hug them because they were so brutalized at one point in their life. You know, there's people, they actually come up close to them, they freak out and they back away. Why? Because they live in the world, people punch them and stuff, you know. And I get it, you know. There's that natural part. You have to deal with that, I understand. But at some point, the real key to this is to realize that because one died, Christ died, we all died. Everybody who comes to Christ is dead as a doornail. Not physically, but that old self is gone. And now we are raised with Christ. We no longer live. We live uh, uh, for ourselves, but now we live for Christ who was raised again. That is the Christian experience. Okay, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, and here's the famous verse. I wanted to get it out for you. Got too many rabbit trails. Therefore, you should all have the scripture memorized. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible. You should be able to quote this verbatim. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I can quote it King James. That's the way I remember it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what it is. the old is gone, the new has come. Okay? Therefore, if anyone is Christ, is a new creation, he's the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's the way the translation has it here. You should be able to know where it is. It's in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. If anybody's in Christ, what has happened to your past? It's gone. It's gone. But, Pastor, you don't know who I was. It doesn't matter. You come to Christ, you are a new person. And we're just, a lot of this is, and even Paul, remember he wrote to the Corinthian church, in the first Corinthians, and he's yelling at some of these guys who are going to prostitutes before he comes, you know, they're hanging out with prostitutes. What are you doing? Now, if it were me, I would be screaming bloody murder. You won't get a whole lot of compassion out of me if I find out a whole bunch of you guys are going to see hookers before you come to church. I'm going to have an issue. Okay. You would think that Paul would just beat the snot out of them for doing that. What's fascinating is he doesn't. If you remember, he says, don't you guys realize who you are? He knew what was happening. They were still living in that old pattern, still thinking in the old way. And that's when he writes, and he says, uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. All right? All right. People quote that all the time when they talk about health stuff. You know, The reason you should eat salads and fried squirrel brains is because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit and you should be gluten free because your temple doesn't want gluten because I don't even know what gluten is but apparently they don't charge you for it. It's all free. <laughs> that's not what he's talking about. No, you should take care of yourself. <laughs> but that's not... When, when it says your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, I talk, you shouldn't smoke cigarettes because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. The context of that is don't Hang out with hookers. (laughs) That is the context. And rather than scream at him, he says, you don't realize who you are. Once you start to realize who you are, it changes you. So the one thing he's trying to tell them, and the people who get, like I said, the people who get it walk very free, but there's a lot of people, even like some of these guys in first grade, they didn't get it. He didn't scream at them. He wasn't yelling at them. They had their programs for him, (laughs) whatever, to help them heal. I get it. But even that whole program is to get into this point where you realize that no longer has control over you. It doesn't matter what has happened to you because the old is gone. The new is here. We are now new creations in Christ Jesus. So he starts telling them, don't you realize who you are? When you join together with someone sexually, you become one with that person. Jesus isn't living in you. Is Jesus supposed to be joined together with a prostitute? That's what he's saying. That's what he says literally. He says, that's why, don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You you don't live this way. That's why we don't live this way. And I've used this analogy many times. I I like watching these movies where there's dozens of iterations of this where some dork somewhere finds out that he's actually the, the next king of some make-believe country or something like that. You all see these, right? You know, they're cute things. And, and the guy's a complete dork and a loser. And uh, according they do this thing. Apparently, you're the king, and you get a gazillion dollars, and, but you need to start acting like the king. And that's what the whole story's based on, and how this person, who is such a slob and a disaster, by the end of the movie is absolutely transformed. They become something different. Because at some point, it dawns on him, I I am the king. I am royalty. People who are royal don't act this way. People who are royal don't talk that way. People who are royal don't behave that way. They carry themselves different. And I always enjoy it because I always think of the analogy of Christianity because that's what Paul was trying to get across at the Christian church in Corinth. Some of them were acting really badly because they weren't getting this. And and so he's challenging them to get it because once you start to realize who you are, it changes everything. Right? I mean, if if you found out that you were the next in line uh, to inherit all of Bill Gates' money, that would change your day. (laughs) Would it not? Even though you're still broke and you're still struggling, your outlook on life changes dramatically. It might be 20 years before you get that money, but it's a different walk, it's a different attitude. Because I am going to be, for all practical purposes, I'm the next multi-billionaire in this country, just waiting for somebody else to die. All right. Just, anyway, we're making up different analogies here and stuff. If you're like that, by the way, let me know. Uh, okay. <laughs> I want to spend more time with you. Praise God. Okay. So, where am I? So the old has gone, the new is here. Now all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now this is so powerful. But it's confusing because he's using fancy words like reconciliation. What the heck is he talking about? Okay, we got to go back to the beginning. We have God and man are, are together, and there's nothing separating them. Okay, Adam in the garden, his wife Eve. At some point, they turn their back on God. Uh, people say, how long do you think that took? Well, based on his offspring, I'd say about 45 minutes. Okay? Because, I mean, it's really interesting, right? Because they hadn't even had sex yet. I would have thought that would have been at the top of my list, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, I hadn't even gotten to that yet. Right? I, I seriously don't think it was a very long time at all. All they knew was, what tree can't we have? Look, it's so pretty. <laughs> and, and then they mess everything up. As soon as they mess everything up, there is now something separating them from God. What's it called? Sin. So sin separates us. So throughout all of the experience on earth, God's goal was to reconcile with mankind. He wanted to break down this wall of sin so that he could be close to you again. And all of this happened when Jesus died on the cross. In that act, that incredible, glorious, central moment in the history of the universe is when God busted down that wall. And now when you come to Christ, he lifts all that and there's nothing separating you anymore. That's why you can walk with God right now. You can pray and talk to God right now. You don't need to talk to saints. You don't need to make an appointment with his mom or anything else. You talk directly to God because he has reconciled himself. That is the miracle of the cross. That is the power of the cross. It breaks all that stuff down. And I love this phrase, not counting people's sins against them. And what's amazing to me is how many people, even as Christians, they, they don't get this. They're still committed. It's like someone who's in, getting ready to inherit a billion dollars and they don't get it. Or someone who hasn't. You know, hey, you're poor. You're really poor. Really? They put $10 million in your bank account. Well, I don't believe it. Well, well why don't you get a check and write a check? Well, I don't know how to write checks. Complicated. So you live in poverty the whole time, and the whole time you've got millions of dollars sitting in the checking account. I mean, that's the same kind of analogy. We, 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 we don't realize what we have. We'll read about it when we get to the Ephesians. Paul says, Man, I pray for you guys that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so you can see what you have. He saw this, this challenge. He got it. <laughs> Lots of them got it. And the most victorious Christians of the world get it. And that's why they walk with a spring in their step. Because they got But so many, even people of faith, they've come to Jesus, they're saved, all that stuff, but they just don't get it. They still think God is mad at them. And that God knows all your rotten stuff and he's holding it over you. And the only reason he doesn't strike you dead while you're sitting in churches, he might accidentally hit somebody next to you. All right? I mean, that's what some people's thinking is this way. And that's not the way it is. It doesn't function that way anymore. It's all totally, totally different. We have been reconciled to God and he does not count our sins against us. Somebody say amen. Amen. That is a beautiful thing. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's what we do. That's what Paul says. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm all about. I'm about getting this reconciliation thing going. I'm preaching everywhere to the heathen, letting them know, hey, I got good news for you. You can be reconciled to God. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. There's nothing. You can get it by faith. And I'm trying to teach these Christians what this means now that you've been reconciled to God and God does not count your sins against you anymore. Thank God for that. Thank God for it. Now, I have a pet peeve and I'm about to get on. <laughs> I'm setting you up, okay? Uh, you know, we, we all have <laughs> pet peeves. <laughs> and I have some biblical pet peeves. Uh, I'm often shocked by some of the things that are taught in evangelical Christianity. Not all of them. But there, there's things that are taught that it's just crazy. It has no foundation biblically. And one of the things that everyone's once here, hear somebody mention it around here, and I try to bat it down like a whack a mole. Well, Pastor, you know why they're struggling? They've they got generational curses. There's generational curses out there. And that's, that's what because they heard some evangelist somewhere. You know what happens? Even to well meaning preachers, at some point in Christianity, sometimes a false statement gets repeated so often it becomes truth. Even in Christianity, it's, it's not based in fact. There's no such thing. Well, now, pastor, yes, there is. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament, I will count visit the sins of the Father unto the fourth generation. Okay, this is the Old Testament. And by the way, you can virtually always tell when someone's going to get crazy because they will quote as their foundation the Old Testament. Every time someone starts to say, you know, the Bible, says," they start quoting something from the Old Testament. The first thing you should start hearing in your head is, dee, 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 dee. <laughs> all right, just step back a bit, all right. It's the Old Testament. Their version of God is God's ticked at everybody, okay? And he was, because he was not what? Reconciled to them. But read the rest of the verse. I will visit... The sins of the Father, even unto the fourth generation, for those who hate me. Well, I suppose if you're going around hating God, hating God. Now, there's people who hate God. Yeah, I suppose there's issues in their lives. But where do you get generational curses? the a phrase that even found in the Bible. Well, well we have problems of alcoholism. Really? You and 18 billion other people. For heaven's sakes, that's not a generational curse. Well, I struggle with lust. Well, there's a shock. I don't know anybody who struggles with that. Except every man on the face of the earth. Right? You know, it's so weird. Men, we're so simplistic. God help us. You can take 100 women. Get them out, and say, what's your greatest challenge? And you will, if you do it to 100 women, you'll get all kinds of answers. I struggle with fear, insecurity, low self-esteem, I got faith issues, I have to struggle with patience, all this, okay. I mean, it's a tapestry, a glorious tapestry of all the things that they struggle with. You get 100 men together and say, what is your number one problem? 100 of those men will say lust. It's true. It's that's our biggest thing. It just screams at us. It's not the result of a generational curse in your life. It's the result of testosterone floating through your brain. There's answers for all that, by the way. (laughs) We can live victoriously over this stuff. But God is not going around cursing you because the cross broke all the curses. It broke it all. You say, well, I come from a long line of disgusting people. No! I come from a long line of alcoholics. They were all, I don't know of a single man on my mother's or father's side that was not an alcoholic, not a one. Not a one. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that means it's going to get you. No, it doesn't get me. Why not? That curse has been broken at the cross where I first saw the light. Hallelujah. Why? Because the old guy who would have likely done that is dead. I was there at the funeral. It was the baptism. I was there. We sang songs. We killed him. We moved on. All kinds of stuff. People say, you know, you know you, 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 if you marry someone who's been divorced, you're all going to end up in divorce. And then somebody come along, yeah, that's a generational curse. No, it's not. Her family was divorced. My parents were divorced. We haven't gotten divorced. You're not thinking about that, are you? She has all the reasons in the world. You know what I'm saying, but <laughs> this stuff. Quit talking like that, and quit coming up with you well just to get explanations, reasons. What the people are trying to find reasons why they struggle. And they heard some evangelists talk about generational curses from the Old Testament. For again, every time they start talking Old Testament, dee, 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 dee. we don't live by the Old Testament. All right, these are curses and punishments that come to people who God says, hate me. That is not you. You come to Christ. You can't even come to, if you hate, you can't, you can't do it. How do you come to Christ and hate God? <laughs> it can't happen. You come to the cross. You are set free. The blood of Christ washes you. You're a new creation. The old is passed. The new has come. He doesn't count. Your sins against you. There's not some curse over you. People get nervous. You know, Christians get nervous because you know, what? There's somebody in my neighborhood who's a witch. I mean, they get all jiggity about this. Well, I I stay away from that place because there's witch. I'm afraid to put a curse on me. (laughs) Really? I'm not afraid of a curse. You guys have heard my witch story, right? Hanging out with the witch? You never heard a story? What was a good story? How many of you have not heard the story? Really? I'm going to tell you the story. <laughs> I tried to avoid these things. I think you've all heard them over and over again. So, we were in Dallas, Texas, and we were doing this conference, this marriage conference thing, and, and all these people were there and stuff like that. And this lady comes up to me, and she's just as bubbly. She can be ha, 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 asking all these questions. And she, just, uh, and she says, what do you do? I said, I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, really? I'm a witch. And of course I said, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Which she didn't think was very funny. So anyway, <laughs> so we talked for a while. And you know, people would just get off. I mean, people would just freak. I've been in churches telling this story, like, you know, traveling around the country. And, and she was a witch. And you can hear the entire congregation go, <gasps> really? You're afraid of a witch? This makes y'all go. <gasps> Clearly, you don't realize who you are. You are children of God. You're the more, more than conquerors. Greater is he that is in you than he talking about the devil that is in the world. Don't be afraid of these things. afraid of these people. Good grief. <laughs> so anyway, she goes away. I said, I was just talking to a witch really yeah all of a sudden she comes back and says hey me and my friends because her little witchlets were with her and said uh, <laughs> what do you call them I don't know what you call them like a little coven or whatever they said we want to know if you come to dinner with us tonight and I said I would love to and so we set it all up and then they took off and I came and said hey you guys we're having dinner tonight with a witch and they went really <laughs> Yeah, I've never done that before. It should be interesting. So so we go, and we hang out with witches. And we're sitting at dinner, and we're laughing and talking and stuff. And and this lady keeps looking at me. And at one point, she finally says, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, she says. You say you're a pastor? Yep. She said, are you one of these real, because you got real liberal pastors, and you got these real conservative pastors. Where do you fall in? I said, I'm one of the really conservative ones. She goes, really? I said, yeah, why? She says, I've never met a conservative Christian who wasn't mean to me. Said all kinds of bad things to me in quote Old Testament verses that witchcraft people should be killed. We do that with gays today, right? All day, Yo, the Bible says gays should be killed. Really don't do that to people. Well, it says so in the Old Testament. You know what it also says in the Old Testament? Anybody who curses should be killed. We should pretty much knock out half of you. Is anybody who disobeys their parents should be killed. Which will take care of the other half of you. (laughs) Why was it like that? I don't know. Ask a rabbi. We don't live by the Old Testament. We live by the New Testament. Somebody say amen. Amen. Don't get all caught up. Now, there's good things in here, and I love reading this because there's all sorts of lessons and stuff in here, but we do not live by the, the laws of Moses. All of this stuff, we are free. That's what Paul wrote about in the Whole letter to Galatians free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. We don't live by that stuff anymore. And every time, almost every time, you run into some Christian who's a little nuttier than a bat. They're quoting the Old Testament generational curses. You watch out for No, we don't have to work because God doesn't count my sins against me. First of all, I don't hate God. <laughs> And the cross breaks all that. I've been reconciled to God. There is no way God has removed the wall between you and Him, and He hugs you and cares about you. But you know what? I still gotta beat you up for your grandpa Ralph back there. Because of what he did. He ran over six cats, and I need to beat the crap out of you for that. You know, that's not the way this works. I think I said crap three times tonight. Good thing God does not consider our sins against us or I'd be in big trouble. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> this, is, this is so, I, I don't know. I read this, it makes me feel really good. I feel so encouraged. Because there's days I feel really bad. I do. I do. I feel bad because of the mistakes I make and the things I said. I should have said crap three times, which now was Five. <laughs> And I feel bad. And, I, and I, like you, I mean, there's times I just feel like God must really, really have had it up to here with me. You ever feel like that? I mean, come on, right? And then I read this and I go, what? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Why? Because he was not counting people's sins against them. Wow, how is that even possible? That's what happened on the cross. That was that amazing thing when Jesus cried out, it is finished. Wow. <sighs> anyway. So he goes on to write. He says, oh, I, I finished with the witch? That was basically, oh I, oh, I said, she said, I have never met a conservative Christian that wasn't mean to me. And I said, you know, I, I said I'm said i sorry. You know, this, They mean well. <laughs> it was crazy, but they mean well. And, uh, and then so the next day, she came and, and listened to me talk. And at the end, she runs up to me and she just grabs me and says, you make me want to become a Christian. And she ran away. Really, I haven't seen her yet. I hope I run into the witch again. I hope she gets saved at some point. I hope I get to heaven and say, hey, you're here. Right? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, which is what I was doing with all the little witchlets. I'm I'm representing God, we're representing Christ to the world. As though God were making his appeal through us. That's what we're supposed to be doing. God, why doesn't God make his appeal to these people? Because you ain't saying anything. We are supposed to be making the appeal to these people to to get connected with God. We are Christ's ambassadors. We represent Christ as it is as if God is speaking through us to these people. That's why we should be doing what we're doing. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. I mean, it's the swap of the ages. You guys ever, anybody read the book Tale of Two Cities? What is it, you ever see the movie? That's all I saw, I didn't read the book. It's too fat. But it's it's, it's one of the classics of, of English literature. Nobody's read it. Okay, three, we're the most educated people on earth here. So anyway, <laughs> starting with me. So, but this is a classic, okay? So what happens in this book is this guy, I, I preached about this some weeks, some months ago. It, 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 it was the incredible swap. This guy is in love with this chick. The chick isn't in love with him. She's in love with another dude. So she marries the other dude, but he says, I, I'm so in love with you, I'll never be with anybody else. And if I can't have you, I'll just be without anyone. You know, ah, not me. I'd say, okay, I'm going to go find somebody else. But anyway, that's what he did. It's a romantic book. So anyway, the other guy is in prison and he's going to be beheaded. That's what they, they did. Chopped off people's said during the French Revolution. And the guy so loved the girl. And, and, and everybody, they were dead ringers for each other. You ever meet somebody who looks just like you? Anybody do that? I met a guy, you remember this guy, it was in Denver when we were there. Some guy looked exactly, exactly like me. Not a little bit like me. I mean, even my own wife thought it was me. That's creepy, okay? I looked at him and I thought it was me and I knew that couldn't happen. Because I'm right here. And and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and I mean, we're both like, wow, what is that? He was the best looking man I have ever seen. ever seen in my life, all right? So apparently, one of the premises of the story is that these guys were like that. And it starts out, they first meet each other because there's this dramatic courtroom scene where they're accusing this guy of a crime and they bring in the other guy said, is this the man? Yeah, that's the man! And they said, well, that's not the guy because this is this other guy. Oh, oh, so reasonable doubt, he gets off mean, That's how the whole thing starts out. That's how they become friends. Anyway, so he loves the girl so much he can tell that she is devastated because this guy is sentenced to be killed. Full confession. I'd be thinking, good. (laughs) Because now I get the girl, right? Dad, I'm just telling you. Dad, I've got my issues. Well, praise the Lord. Have a nice (laughs) day. We'll be praying for you. I'll take care of her. All right, we're all good. All right. So, but that's not what he does. He so loves the girl because she so loves him that he goes into the prison, he drugs the guy, knocks him out, and swaps clothes with him. And one of his friends carries him out. So the guys unconscious. He doesn't even know what happens until he gets out of there. And he realized that this guy stayed. So the next day or whatever, they cut off his head. And when he's in line going up to the uh, guillotine or whatever, he says, it is a far better thing than I've ever, ever done before. I mean, it's a great story. It's a a, a story of love, of sacrifice, and of the Christian message of this incredible swap. That's what happens when God swaps places with you. Jesus comes. He takes, so here's Jesus in all of his glory. All right, John, come here. You're a bad sinner. Come here. I pick on Joe all the time. I need somebody new. All right. So, all right. So, John says, horrible, 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 terrible sinner. Okay. Now, and then here's Jesus, all right, and he's righteous and holy, and he has all this righteousness. What he does is he swaps with you. He says, I'll take all of your sins, and you take my righteousness. Holy cow. How is that even possible? That's what happens. There's this incredible swap. Now, he, the Bible says we now become the righteousness of God in Christ. You think when God looks at you, he's a little irritated at you because whatever you might have done, I'm sure your wife can tell me. So anyway, but the Bible says when God looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of God. That's what happens when he looks at you. You say, well, I don't feel it. Doesn't matter what you feel. You need to change the way you think. You need to realize we are new. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He has made this incredible swap. Well, what happened to all my sins? He took them. Wow! And not just took him. See, here's what we think. We can buy into the idea that he took him. Okay? I'm a rat. He takes my sins, but now I'm a fairly clean rat. Are you hearing me? This is what we think, right? Okay, I'm born again, but now I'm just a clean rat instead of... No, no, no. There's actually a swap. He takes his righteousness, which is Almost impossible to comprehend, and he puts it on you. Yes, even with your struggles, even with your mistakes and everything else, you are now a child. That's why the Bible says when we're born again, we become children of God. We become heirs of Christ, joint heirs with Christ. That means like being a joint heir with somebody who's about to heir, inherit billions of dollars, you get part of that. Yeah, no, no, I don't get it. <laughs> All right, you I'll sinner, go sit back down. I'll take over from here. No, no. <laughs> Bless you. Sit down. He wanted to take over. All right, so. So anyway, so that's it. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Oh, and if just the lights would just start clicking on. Look, I get it. It's easier to talk about these things than to live them. But when you start to understand these things, the encouragement comes. You start to realize you have value. God looks at you with great value. He paid an incredible price for you. And things take on the value of whatever it's paid for. If I paid $1,000 for this, it's worth how much? $1,000. That's the way it works, okay? Uh, God paid Jesus for you. You are worth Jesus to him. And that is so hard to understand because we have our issues and we still struggle and we still make mistakes and some of us still don't realize that we don't have to deal with our past and it needs to be done. Well, all these things, but even in the midst of all that, this wonderful ministry of reconciliation is what Christianity is all about. It is this message that changed the world. This is what was so radical and it spread throughout the entire world and it's still spreading to this day. This message of this glorious swap that Jesus wants to take places with you. Wow, how cool is that? Anyway, we'll pick it up again next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Oh, Lord, open our hearts that we might be able to understand. We don't feel these things at times. Lord, to be honest, we feel really, really discouraged. And, and we do need to repent and ask forgiveness for bad things that we let happen or say or do or whatever but we thank you lord that still in the midst of all that we are sons and daughters of god the living god because jesus took our sins so that we could take his righteousness help us to realize who we are help us to start living and acting more like royalty because in fact that's really who we are help us with this we pray help us to lead the kind of lives that people will look at us and say man how did you get that way? (laughs) And we can share this wonderful story of reconciliation with them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. All you guys online. See you next time.